With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ray Penny with New Jersey School Board Association. Welcome to our podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education. It's an opportunity for you to meet educational leaders throughout the state or talk about education issues uh, that affect all of us in the education community. Um, if you want to participate or pass a question on to our guest, you can uh, log into our uh, chat room feature. With, you have to register with Blog Talk Radio. And you just type the question in, and I'll pass it on. Uh, or you can dial 1-347-989-8904 and then press the number 1, and I will um, that will give Robin, who's monitoring our switchboard, the opportunity to get your question, and I'll put you up. Um, today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Marie Bliston. She's the president of the New Jersey Education Association. Welcome, Marie. How are you? Oh, thank you, Ray. I'm very well, thank you, and uh, very pleased to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, and I hope your husband and the, your fellow officers, actually everyone at the staff at NJA is doing well, too. Uh, we miss seeing yeah, everyone. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, I know. Um, we, talk, we talk frequently, the education stakeholders groups. We're all talking about every week, which is, uh, I think, been a very positive thing on all of our parts coming together for the common purpose that um, on why we all exist, which is our kids and our families. I, I want to talk a little bit about your membership just to start off because, um, you know, the you know, this pretty much their work, the way they deliver their work, how they deliver their lessons pretty much changed uh, almost literally overnight. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, so everything that they – and they weren't planning for, about this back in September. I can guarantee you that. Uh, yeah. So how nope. do you feel that your membership has really adjusted to this? Yeah, so I'm also a classroom teacher. I spent well over 35 years in the classroom, and I had the privilege and the honor of actually teaching all kids sometime at some point between kindergarten and 12th grade, and I taught regular ed and special ed. So I uh, come from a perspective that I absolutely understand what that switch was like for our members. And as a classroom teacher, and from what I've heard speaking to them, when we talk about online instruction and distance instruction, there's, to me, as a classroom teacher, there's really two aspects, right? There is the instructional component of where I have to create a lesson plan or a unit plan to uh, instruct or educate on the concepts. But then now there's a second component that I don't have too much control over different from when I had my students in my classroom, and that is the online learning and distance learning that has to take place. Uh, we don't all have the same materials at home. Our families have uh, or come from you know, a variety of backgrounds and live in a variety of areas. Some areas actually don't have 
good internet access. And so all those considerations now have to go into my instructional plan that I had originally planned at this point in the year, right? I probably had pretty much a, a good idea of what I was doing from March until June. That had to be transferred into this online distance instruction, but also I had to take into consideration that learning aspect and how I was going to be able to monitor and then adjust what I was doing. So it, the, the leap of change for our educators uh, across the board has been probably something that no one would have ever thought that we could accomplish. Yet, we have. Uh, you know, look, there's still some kinks. It's not perfect. Each day, each week, it's getting a little bit better as we're finding more and more platforms that we can utilize with our students. It's still not what we do every day. It's not the best but it's something that we can do in this emergency situation. And I think overall they have risen to the challenge. Uh, you know, we talk often, Ray, you and I, about collaboration, and I just made a mention of the work that the stakeholder groups have been doing at the state level, us with school boards, with principal supervisors, with the PTA superintendents, and so on. That collaboration I've seen more often than not across the state with boards of ed, administrators, the uh, educators, uh, unions, uh, and, and the staff just working more together than they ever have. Because, you know, when Governor Murphy says we're all in this together, I think he says it every day, that's the truth. We are all in this together. Yeah, I would have to say in my time with the school board association over 20 years i don't think i've seen the this collaboration and not just at the state level mm. between the education groups which i think has right. occurred as well but i think down at the local district level uh, i've been speaking with superintendents and they have just said everyone just stepped to the plate it's like we have the yeah. same goal how do we teach these kids and uh uh-huh. And some of the teachers, one of the things I am, and this might be something you're proud of, is teachers all have different comfort levels with uh, uh-huh. technology. Some of them, yep. you know, it comes natural and others don't. But what one of the superintendents said to me is they've been helping each other. The ones that have a more comfort level have really helped their colleagues. Have you heard that? Yeah, we have. And we have also, uh, we're a pretty big organization. We have a actual whole division dedicated to professional development. We have another division developed to communication, and we have another division developed uh, or connected to, dedicated to uh, instruction, not instruction, but technology, right? And so all three of those groups got together, and we have put up some resources on our NJEA page that uh, I, I think they're exemplary. I, I'm, in fact, I talked to some national, the national president's, and national groups, and I, I don't think many states have what we have. I'm just going to put a plug in here, right, like I'm so proud of, because of all the work we've been doing. We are rated number one in the United States, best quality public schools, and I think we can all take a step back and say right now for sure it's been the reason we have it has been, been because of all the people that we have involved that, you know, produce and create these these educational programs here. But on our particular page, we have resources not just for academics, but also we have resources now for social-emotional. Because if you ask me, you know, when we talk about 
how did we transfer into this mode, one of the biggest challenges that our members have said right from the beginning was that they weren't as much concerned about the academic as they were concerned with the social emotional aspect. Those areas where we can connect daily with our kids, with our students, we can only do it virtually and, and only can do it virtually for those that can connect. And I know that's another very strong common area with us in school boards. I've said before, I read your report, I think it came out within this last year on the social emotional aspect of uh, and instructional needs of students. And I applauded that report that came from school boards because it is paramount with us. In addition to those resources, we have, uh, we're connected with the New Jersey Center for Teaching and Learning, headed by Dr. Bob Goodman, who was one of our former State Teachers of the Year. And he mm-hmm. has online curriculum and instructional units that are free to the public. He has units, and we have them on our website, that are available not just for students as supplemental, not just for our educators, our teachers who would deliver instruction, but there are supplemental things and guidelines and uh, resources for parents at home. So I think that's been uh, a very good outcome of this that we offer. And I'll have to put a plug in, Ray. I'm sure that you've seen the NJTV Live. That was going to be my uh, next question. So, oh, okay. Well, go uh, ahead. Go. I'll let you ask. Go ahead. No, no. Why don't you talk about that partnership with the DOE and NJTV? Ah. Um, kind of like an all-star cast. Uh, oh, not cast. It's just, all-star I know. It's, it is. It's just mesmerizing. So I try to watch it. Well, I will tell you. So what it is is we have our state teacher of the year, Kim Sixteen, which, you know, we all collaborate when we make those choices. She's a teacher from Haddonfield down in Camden County. Um, she is on her half-year sabbatical working at the DOE. The DOE, Commissioner Rappelet, all of you, we're working together to produce a TV show through NJTV, and kudos to them. Uh, some people call it the educational channel, you know, was where originally Sesame Street uh, from many years ago mm-hmm. started, but uh, that's the TV show. That's the TV channel. They produce a show starting at 9 o'clock in the morning for grades 3, 4, 5, and 6. Each one is an hour-long program, and Kim and her cohort have arranged for, from, for teachers from around the state to teach lessons, supplemental lessons, in various subjects. Uh, today, I caught, I can't catch it all day, you know, for the four hours every day, but today I caught two of the programs. One was a physical education teacher who was doing a dance routine and, you know, trying to get movement inside of her living room with the students. It was, she had music. It was a blast. I was on it for a while. The next hour, there was an art teacher showing uh, very meticulously and step-by-step how to do the scene that she had started. I've seen lessons where, oh, I saw a lesson, I guess it was last week, the week before, social studies lesson on uh, the Underground Railroad. I don't know how these teachers did it, but they showed uh, one place down here in South Jersey where I live that was one of the first stops of the Underground Railroad. The teacher had a screen in back of him where he actually showed the it was a church, 
and then they took a, a virtual tour of the church. Then they went to the next stop, and it was a different teacher uh, up in Burlington County. And, again, they had the screen and back of the teacher where the wow. second stop was. And then they took – it was mesmerizing. Another episode I saw was a science teacher, and she had her three kids who were her students uh, at the, around the dining room table. And, of course, they, they – no, that was the, that was the uh, language arts lesson. But another one they did have – she also had her, her children involved in the science ex- experiment in the, the kitchen. So I, I will take – we're getting rave reviews. Uh, parents are able to use it because one of the things that we're finding, and I'm sure your members have said the same, is the instruction is going on during, the, of course, the day at various times. Kids may only have one device, right, at a time. They may not yes. all have devices where they can tune in. And this at least allows some, the students, the children that are not on the device with the instruction, this still gives them something to do. It, the content is all still aligned with our common core standards in this state, and they are they're just exemplary. So yes. thanks for asking about you, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the and I want to go into it because you brought it up. Um, you know, it, I, I think everyone's doing the best they can, and they're doing actually an excellent job. But what are some of the concerns that you have from your that you've heard from your members that the that your association has as we move forward? Whether it's the budget, whether it's the achievement gap, what are some of the concerns that you have as we move forward with this, and maybe even going into next year? Well, you know, again, when we talk about this technology divide, that's just become more and more apparent. It's not even that everyone doesn't have a device, but that Internet connectivity, that service is also not available. Not everybody has it, and it's also not available. And there have been various um, uh, things that have been put into place. to try. We've actually had school buses that have driven to certain areas that have a hot spot so that students in the community can at least get some access. We've had some companies that have uh, volunteered or donated some of that availability to some of those areas. We've talked about, uh, we, I'm hearing talk that maybe we should take the Internet service and it needs to be utilized or looked at more as a utility that is a necessity, like we use electricity, right, or we have running water. I, those are issues that are going to come up. In front of us, uh, I know that when we were all we were on a call with the school boards a couple of weeks ago with our senators, our Senate leaders, and they asked us what some of those questions were, some of those things that we were seeing, so that at least when we do come out of this, we can look back and we can address it so that heaven forbid, but if we're in this situation again, we're going to be much better prepared, and they're looking to form a task force in fact to cover some of those uh, some of those areas. So I think that when you talk about budgets, I think all districts are when we do get back and we're going to try to build in as soon as we can some capability for every student to have a device that they're going to be able to utilize at home. I think that's going to be one of the givens and it's going to be a a cost factor. When we look, when you bring up budgets, we're all concerned about the budgets. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. we're concerned with the public revenue that's coming in. Uh, I saw that the governor has formed a task force on the economic recovery for the state. I saw Senate President Sweeney 
did the same thing. And then I saw yesterday that Speaker Coughlin also has a group he's putting together. And I'm sure at some point the both houses and the governor will get together with their findings so that they can make the best projections. We know that we have some federal money coming in, but uh, I, I think we all know that that's not going to be enough to uh, fill the gap. And I think there's going to be a transitioning period as we as we move forward. I am happy to hear and see that uh, the governor, Senate President Sweeney, and Speaker Coughlin are looking for ways to bridge the gap that we're going to have right now from uh, local, county, and state revenue. And I will just say one of those, I'm very proud that one of the things that we have worked out with Senate President Sweeney is a health care bill that uh, once it goes through the House, governor signs it, it's going to provide over a billion dollars in savings every year in health care costs, which is uh, mm-hmm. some of that is going to be, I think, I think 600 will be dedicated coming be provided back to the local districts, which right now this couldn't come at a more opportune time. Some of those savings, of course, will be had by our members that had been wrapped by Chapter 78. And whenever, look, whenever we're looking at lowering health care costs, still providing quality health care, but lowering those costs, that's a win-win for everybody, school boards, us, uh, taxpayers. So uh, when we're looking at those things, I think, that when there's common ground, I think that there'll be ways that we're going to get through this. And um, you and I were talking earlier before we went on about, and do you think maybe the education, anyone, oh, actually anyone, uh, Governor Murphy's indicated he thinks the federal government should send some aid to the state governments, not just in mm. Jersey, but uh, all state governments. Right. Is that something that we'll probably need to be advocating for as we move forward because that, you know, the anticipation is that the state revenues may be not what we thought they were going to be in February at least. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely, I totally support him with that, those requests. And I know, again, I know that the uh, legislators are doing the same as are uh, all of our, our, our congressional uh, people down in Washington, D.C. Our state has been one of the hardest hit in the United States, and uh, I know the president did say that money that would, would go to the priorities, the priority states that have been hit the hardest. And I think outside of New York, we're it. We're, we are absolutely it. So uh, I yeah. am hopeful that it's still going to take some advocacy on all our parts uh, right, but I do believe that when we can come together and we have common ground, that things can and and will get accomplished. But it is going to be on all of our parts to demand yep. that we get those resources here. I have a couple questions in the chat room. One of them was uh, about Governor Murphy. You know, we pushed the, he uh, in the legislature pushed the timeline back for the state budget. Do you think we'll have yeah. an idea of what the state aid's going to be? Uh, when? What are you looking at? I mean, is it going to be around August that we'll have a better idea, or is that May 22nd statement by the treasurer something that we should all be listening to? Well, what I understand, uh, at least at this point, is that there will be two budgets. One budget will be to get us between now and uh, September 30th. 
and then from September 30th until June 30th of 21 would be the second budget from the state. And that is to uh, really allow them to get a full picture of what we are looking at here in the state regarding revenue. And, you know, quite honestly, I know that they are counting on the federal government providing what they should for this for, for mm-hmm. the state so that we can plan forward. Okay. Uh, another question, and um, this is probably a health and safety. Uh, what, and I don't think you have a position, uh, but uh, what are your thoughts about well, when we should return uh, physically to our schools? Uh, you know, well, for I, students yeah. and staff. Mm-hmm. Well, we have. Yeah, well, you know, look, Ray, I think the the governor, when he announced that he was going to close schools, he did it in a very deliberate way. Uh, We advocated at that point when we saw what was happening and what the dangers were with the the virus, uh, we advocated, of course, for the closing of schools when he did it, and he did... He did not do it right away. Uh, he waited a, a few days saying that the schools were going to be closed. And during that time, schools began to close down across the state from north, middle, and to the southern part of the state. And why he did that was to allow them time to put a plan together. I mean, as it was, they had about a week before we really realized how bad this was and was coming into our state, to try to put a plan together to equip the educators to go home with enough that they could provide instruction for at least two weeks. And we were told right from the beginning it might be more than two weeks, but prepare at least for two weeks. And then also Mm -hmm. put all those plans into place to make sure that our students who were dependent on us for breakfast and for lunch, that we were still going to provide, be able to provide that. So the district, the state required all districts to come up with a plan to address it. And some of the districts, you know, they just didn't have the resources to do it overnight. The ones that did got on it. The ones that didn't waited until or at least got him up through, I think his date was March 18th, that all schools had to be closed. And and I understand that um, the reason for that, and I also understand the reason why he has said that He's been coming out, uh, looking at the data, scientific data, and dependent on medical advice as to when Mm -hmm. schools would reopen and how. And he has said that repeatedly. I will say this about our governor. He does do his homework. I don't see that across the United States. I'll say that candidly. But I do see that is what he's doing. And our position is and always has been and always will be that the safe, safety, the health conditions for our students and for our members is number one and has to drive all of those decisions regarding how and when school reopenings will take place. My guess is the governor has that, the, the health and safety of the students and staff as a, for, on the forefront of his mind uh, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. he Agreed. makes any decisions. Yep. I th- uh, yep. I do Agreed. have a comment. One of our one of our state officers is ca- called in. Bruce, did you have a comment for uh, Marie? Yeah, Bruce Young, uh, from the vice president for county activities. I'm sorry. Oh, hi, hi Bruce. How are you? 
How are you? I'm doing well. First, Thank I want you. To, I want to commend the teachers for, for, for a job well done so far. I, I find the biggest problem that we're going to have is with the Internet connection, but so much, so many people are saying that because they have two, three, and maybe four kids on at the same time, they're having a problem mm-hmm. with the kids being able to maintain the Internet connection. So that's another oh, big yeah. issue. You know? Yep. Uh, yeah, I, good point. I do have a question going back to the health uh, that you brought up about Senator Sweeney and the health benefits. How many, how many of your organization will be taking advantage of that uh, package that the senator is looking to put out there? Are we looking for 100% well, participation? Well, I do. Well, first of all, the, the law, when the legislation, when it becomes law, will mandate that uh-huh. all new employees who are eligible okay. for health benefits will go into that program. And what we know okay. about it is that it will be a quality program, it, a mesh between NJ10 and NJ15, which most of our districts are in anyway. Whether they're in the state plan or whether they're in a private plan, they offer okay. those types of benefit levels. And uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a benchmark plan, Bruce. We know that there are some savings that we can put into place with that plan mm-hmm. through the school employee health uh, benefits design, you know, the plan committee and the design committee that right. will save everyone money, but still again, provide those savings. And I think as a benchmark plan, which years ago, that is what the state health plan was when it was just called right. the state health plan, they were benchmark plans, uh, but allowed right. districts to, and locals okay. to negotiate with private carriers. But it was a benchmark plan. Right. And I believe that that's what this one will do. And, there were two sets of actuaries, by the way, that uh, worked with the senator on and us mm-hmm. on development of this legislation, and uh, both of them came to the same conclusion. So we're very confident that uh, it, it, it's a savings plan that it's a win-win. Okay, very good. Okay. We're in a very good situation okay. up in Maywood and uh, Becton. So we're going to be hiring some new teachers this year, so... Go on their website, yeah. and uh, and you'll see a lot of new job openings up there. So, all right, okay, thanks, I'll Brad. pass that on, thanks. Bruce. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, thanks, Bruce. You got it, Ray. Uh, are there any other uh, concerns that you uh, have as we move forward? Um, I'm I'm looking at um, like uh, maybe if we open in the fall, what were some of the concerns that you might have then? Well, I, yeah, I think, you know, depending on how they open, uh, we're going to have to prepare our students, our staff, and our communities for that transition. Again, this has been, listen, this is like no other worldwide thing in my lifetime, and yours as well. Uh, there's going to be some aftershock from it. I mean, I, I, we're losing we're losing people, right? You know that as well as I do. We're losing yep. family members. Uh, that and people—they're not even able to grieve properly. Our kids are home uh, in in these settings where we can't bury people who whom we've lost through this virus or even just through natural causes separate from this. That's going to be carried back into those classrooms and our schools. And I think one of the areas that we got to take as a priority all of us is 
to we're going to have to look to see what resources we're going to be able to put into place immediately to address that end. As again, I'll go back to my classroom teacher days. Uh, I, I've always said, listen, I knew my subject area, and I certainly had my classroom instruction planned out academically, but that wasn't that was not that was not fifty percent. I better have fifty one percent where I was addressing the social emotional needs of those kids first and foremost. If I don't have them feeling that they are in a safe place and that they are ready to learn, I don't care what kind of lessons academically mm-hmm. I have that I can I can show. And I think that this is going to be true with all of us. We have communities in our schools that have lost members during these last four or five weeks. I mean, I'm making calls uh- to our local president, right? Those those are those are little home family communities. When they come back, those educators or they're they're just not going to be there. And so uh, students are coming in who have lost family members. We are going to have to mm-hmm. deal with that first and foremost. And then at the same time, I think not only transition back into what a normal schedule would look like, and we don't know what that's going to be, right? Whether we're going to have to have no. distancing inside of those classrooms, I think they're looking at all of that at this point, if that's going to have to be, because we don't have a cure yet for this disease, for this virus. And we're also going to have to look at getting ready in case there's another shutdown. I mean, they're talking now about another wave of this virus coming in the, in the fall or in the winter. We might have uh, waves of this in communities where the schools will have to be shut down for a certain amount of time. We should be ready at that point on a dime, I think. It's, it's in our best interest to transition for that time and then hopefully bring them back. Again, until we can get the massive testing that we need, get the hu- hu- immunity set up, and then get that cure. Once that cure comes into place, we're going to be good to go. But always know that there's going to be, as they're predicting, other things that we're not immune to, other pandemics. Yep. So mm-hmm. that's to me what that's I a whole new world. The biggest challenge. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, yep. I agree. Yep. And I, I just got a comment from uh, in our chat room, uh, a long one from uh, our immediate past president Dan Sinclair, thanking you for joining us. And uh, he wants to thank you for the relationship between NJSB and NJA. Uh, sometimes I, I, I agree we're always defined by our differences, but sometimes there there are a lot of common ground. Um, we have. He did have, have one. Greg, you know. Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, you can go. You can go. Then I'll finish Dan's question. Okay. We do have a lot in common. You know, I sat on the school board's task force to close the achievement gap. Uh, when I was first became an officer, and uh, I was I was honored to be asked to do that, and loved doing that, and it was out of that relationship, and I think I was the only classroom teacher at that time that had been asked to serve on the on a school board uh, task force. But we met Dr. Saul Rubenstein from Rutgers University, <laughs> and he came in, uh, Larry and. Uh, uh, um, well, Larry brought him in, actually, as a consultant, right? Yeah. And uh, we talked, and I realized he talked about something called labor management collaboration. And at the end of his presentation, 
I tell a story. I was so flattery and everyone else. I was literally jumping out of my seat. I was so excited to hear about what he talked about. I know I, as a as a teacher, but also as a union leader all my years, by the way, I knew that that was the best way to work. I always worked that way. But I didn't leave a system in place, right? It was relationships that I had developed over the years with administration and school board. And Dr. Rubenstein said that there were actually ways of doing this and providing systems. Well, today, and I think we're six years later, I'm telling you, we now collaborate. Dan knows well about this program. We have a labor, labor management collaborative where we have 16 districts across the state that are involved right now, have been involved with training. We've been doing follow-up, by the way, with them on how they've been faring through this crisis. And we have found very significant and interesting uh, results that they are, those districts have a smoother transition or at least they see themselves as having a smoother transition into this, into dealing with this crisis. And there's been more of a collaboration on a lot of other areas that have resulted from it. We have, I think, Dan, I think we have about 20 or 30 districts right now waiting to get involved in the labor management collaborative. And just so uh, your listeners know, that's us, school boards, principal supervisors, super association the superintendents association we started it and we have developed into what is now being considered a national model and the 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 real Mm -hmm. good point about this is where we see we have labor management collaboration and dr rubenstein has proven over 20 years of research there is automatic student achievement even in our hardest economic areas where there are more challenges than not right the the, yep. the collaboration forces student achievement. Uh, another win-win. Yep. So Dan's question, I'm switching you. First of all, he talks about that he thinks the education community has collaborated, as you and I said, uh, mm-hmm. to deal with the crisis. He's a little concerned about comments by Senator McConnell um, earlier in the week about not mm. providing aid to the state governments. And he wasn't sure if you, if you knew where our senators were on this. And uh, you and I talked about this, but you might want to be uh, – yeah. are our senators supportive of uh, uh, federal aid for state governments? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, Sam, for asking. Yeah, Ray and I talked before we started the program today. I uh, We had actually provided a – we reached out to both the U.S. Senators, Menendez and Booker, and asked them if they would be willing to do a statewide call with our members on the first three bills that were the recovery or the, the, uh, yeah, the Recovery Act, right? And they jumped at the chance, and I invited – uh, members from school boards, uh, all the league group, right, principal supervisors, PTA, superintendents, to also join us, at least from state level. And we had, oh, geez, probably a few thousand people on that call, and they explained it, and they were advocating very hard for more money, even if this was about uh, two weeks ago. Since that time, we also uh, reached out to Congressman Norcross and uh, Andy Kim, and they are going to do similarly where they were, they're going to reach out to our members. Congressman Norcross made it clear. He said, look, we had to fight hard to make sure that we got money. And of course, you know, my 
specific areas, education, our public school districts. But he did talk a little bit about the business community and so on. Uh, but he, he said, on Norcross, he said, we're going to need more money. He said, we're going back right now. They, In fact, they think they just voted on that bill. Was it yesterday? Second bill. And mm-hmm. smaller amount. But he said, that's not going to be enough either. And we're going to have to demand that the federal government step up to the plate. And where Mr. McConnell would say anything about states going bankrupt, that I was equally as appalled as what our governor was. And uh, I have not seen our governor uh, as upset about many things as what I saw when he had to respond to a statement that uh, is very hard to believe coming from an elected official. Yep. Okay, I have another caller, Debbie, from uh, South Plainfield. Uh, Debbie, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes, Ray, I want to thank you for doing this podcast along with all the other ones that you do. Um, And thank you for having Marie Bliston on. Marie, thank you for expressing your concerns and your thoughts. Um, I have been uh, um, as president for the past four years of um, Middlesex County School Boards, hearing people from all over the state from the boards talk about how phenomenal all the teachers are. And um, near and dear to my heart in South Plainfield, I see how everybody collaborates together. Our SBA president, Diana Joffe, our vice president, Sandy Doyen, their passion for their staff, their administrators, for their students. Um, I think that everybody just dove in, did not, not look back, and proceed to educate these children however they have to do it. And I think everybody all over the state, including my school district, has done a phenomenal job. So thank you. That, you know, okay, I thank you, Debbie. You saying it. Yeah, I've traveled to South Plainfield a few times. I know Diana, I know Sandy, I know the EA members there, and I totally agree with you. But I also want to take a moment to thank school board member and for your work with the at the county level. Uh, people don't all realize that school board members do not get paid for their work and their job. And they have probably, I think, the biggest responsibility in any community. You are responsible for the health and the welfare and the education of the next generation of our society. So I want to take a moment to thank you for your work and um, everything that you've done. Thank you. Okay. Um, Marie, uh, uh, you, you, did you start as a special ed uh, instructor? I did. Yeah, when I came out of, yeah. out of college, I started in special ed, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so do you have concerns, because most of uh, for the special ed students, because I, I do know all special ed teachers I know are kind of like really hands-on instructors. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and the kids need it. Um, so yeah. is that one of your worries as we move forward um, about, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, those kids? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and again, trying to reach them remotely with kids who are used to and need a one-on-one paraprofessional sitting right beside him or her, right? That can't happen. They can't physically be there. So how do you transfer that 
through a screen, and again, if those kids were even able to access those screens. So I will tell you that I just saw on our, we have a website, I think I mentioned it, called NJEA Together, and we have our members, we just created it actually, for this crisis, where they're able to share best practices, communicate with each other, and we have so many uh, people contributing to it right now. Our website is changing pretty frequently. But uh, yesterday or today, I saw one from a special ed teacher by the name of uh, Skirps at Henry Skirps up in uh, Belvedere, actually. And he is a special ed teacher. He has a little video. And he had tips for us as educators. And one of them was I thought was pretty interesting because we have to get, get pretty creative, right? He said, you know, I found a long time ago that kinesthetics, getting kids up and moving other body parts or using all of their senses, is a great learning device for some students who are challenged that way. So he said, so I taught my students sign language when we pledged allegiance to the flag. Well, he's doing that now, of course, virtually. Another thing that he said was he found a website for visually impaired students. So, look, when we're in our buildings, we are able to produce documents that are enlarged or have a device in front of that student that has the, the script, right, enlarged. He said he was able to find a website that he could use with his students, also have his parents use it. And then he also found a uh, website that would take things for parents, again, or for students at home, take, you know, uh, preparation for tests and quizzes. They could take the content and it would change it into a review in the form of a game. So I'm just going to say as an educator, they were all tips and tricks and resources that I used, and I would make those games up, as, as, as many of us did. Of course, we can't mm-hmm. do that now. He has found yep. these resources for them. I've also, though, also been concerned about the um, instructional oversight that our child study team people use with our teachers, the whole IEP team, which is made up child study team, case manager, our educator, it's made up principal supervisor, right, a parent, and mm-hmm. usually, when appropriate, right. the student. And how are those things going on? I've been talking to some educators, child study team people across the state, and what they have done is, again, because of their great innovation, they're doing them remotely. They're making phone calls weekly. They are having meetings remotely with the IEP team, trying to accommodate as best we can. There's going to be gaps here. There's no question about it. When we come back in the fall, we're going to need to take a look at where are our students, where were they when we left, where are they now, and now what are we going to put into place to try to bridge that as they move forward, which is going to be another, when you talk about challenges, when we come back in, it's going to be another challenge. One of the other areas is with the uh, students who are just signing up to come into school, right? We have preschool, we have kindergarten students, some of whom are in need, they're challenged right now, that we would normally do testing for, right, so that we could provide early intervention services. When I talked to school nurses, one of the things that they were doing, again, was reaching out through, again, through with the administration 
to the parents of incoming students because kindergarten registration, like this is the prime time, right, for that. And we usually mm-hmm. assess hearing and vision. Of course, we can't do that very well remotely, but at least we can start to pull in the population and talk to parents and see where they are, see how they're making out and see seeing what else we're going to need when we come back in the fall. Okay. We'll make up for them. Uh, we're coming to the end. I just want to pass a remark on. We don't have to comment on it, but, but I think we all have the same concern. Uh, Jason is a teacher in a, a former Abbott district. He's also a newly elected school board member. He's concerned that uh, uh, this pandemic is uh, uh, exacerbating the the achievement gap, and I think that's something that you know everyone's a little bit concerned with. So any final yep. comments no, that I, you have and recommendations that you have, uh, Marie, because we have like less than a minute? I would say please come on to our website, NJEA Together. We do have resources there for parents, for students, for our educators. And uh, we also have a thank you, uh, thank you for an educator. But I also want to take the time again to thank all you, Ray, for having me here all the school boards, the all the education stakeholder community for the work that we've done. And I am confident that when we move forward, we will continue that collaboration for the best interest of our students. Yes, and I think the success we've seen has been because it's been a collaborative effort uh, mm-hmm. at all levels. And I think that we're going to need that, uh, particularly in September. So that brings us yeah, to the end of the program. Absolutely. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And I want to thank Marie Blisson for joining me. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, everyone. Okay, and everyone have a good afternoon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.